first verse we read. I want to thank the ladies for their ministry of song. Thank you. Amen. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manus, who had been brought up by Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered, or as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Let us pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you for all that our hearts have felt, all that you have instructed us. But more than that, we thank you for your darling son, Jesus. And God, we thank you that you are gracing us with your presence today. We bless you in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. During the 1970s, one of the most popular electronic gadgets flying off of retailers' shelves was the Polaroid Instant Color Camera. Somebody say amen. I'm going to ask you guys to adjust me down a little. Uh, this product revolutionized picture taking. The Instant Camera enabled you to take pictures of someone or something. Once the picture was taken, instead of having to pay, to get it produced at a place that developed photos, you could actually watch the picture literally transformed in 60 seconds right before your eyes. Some of you still have those cameras. The print on the photo would gradually change, and you could see it with your own eyes. Although the printed version of the picture looked nothing like what the photographer or the, the photograph at the beginning of the process, by the time the picture was fully developed, you could see what the camera saw when you took the picture. The process felt, it was uh, oblique, it was unclear, it was just a mass of gray, Ambiguity, nothing made sense. Amen? If you took a picture of a car, when the picture was fully developed, you didn't expect to see the developed picture looking like a boat. Amen? Now watch this. The photographer knew what the finished product would look like before it was completed. When it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the photographer. And he knows before the church was birthed, when he said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it, he knew what the finished photograph would look like. 
And in the mind of Christ, looking at the completed church that we are now a part of, he would see the evidence of a spiritually mature church. In that photograph, there would be included a picture of members of the local body of Christ going across the waters to see folks saved. That would be in the picture of the church that Jesus said would last forever and the gates of hell would not prevail. Unfortunately for many African-American churches, we don't have any idea. Now we do here at New Direction, for some of us, uh, we learned for the first time about what foreign missions is. And then for the uh, others of us, we learned with more specific, uh, specificness uh, the God, God's heart for reaching souls around the world. But I wonder, as you think about what your place in the plan of God, if he would find you in his picture already completed in his mind in the proper place that he intends for you to be. And maybe that place for you could be serving him on the mission field. In Acts chapter 13, the church that started in Acts chapter 2 on the, on the day of Pentecost, and we might need to help out a little bit until uh, such a time as uh, we will be uh, dedicating the baby. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, I have no competition for a crying baby. But praise God for good lungs. And so chapter 13 marks a transition in the book of Acts. The church starts in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and he filled and he indwelled the church. And the key verse prior to the birth of the ecclesia, the church, the body of Christ, is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said to his disciples before he went back to heaven, he said, but you will receive power, dunamis, Omnipotent power is at work because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so Jesus said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, believers, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the inhabited earth. That's the key pivotal verse upon which all of the book of Acts hinges on. Somebody say amen. We're going somewhere. And so what happens in, after, in chapter 2, over 3,000 souls are added to the church of Jerusalem. By the time we get to chapter 6, there may be as many as 20,000 members that are attending the Jerusalem church. It's a mega church. Folks are being healed. Uh, officers are being chosen. The church is flourishing. 
The only problem is, is that Jesus didn't say that he died that the church would be a four-wall ministry. He said, you will be my witnesses starting at home in Jerusalem, but it doesn't stop there. You will go to Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the entire world. Well, the church got real comfortable having holy huddles. It was cool coming to church and in God good and God good all the time. And he really loved it. It was just fine coming to church. And then the Lord allowed something to happen in order to stir up the nest so that the church wouldn't be comfortable in its comfort zone. He allowed persecution to come. And we remember that Stephen, the, one of the first of the seven deacons, was stoned to death. He was the first Christian martyr in the uh, newborn church that Jesus said he would establish upon the kind of faith that Peter exercised. And so the church, finally under persecution, begins to scatter. And they go to Judea, they go to Samaria, and the surrounding areas in chapters 8 through 12. But they had not gone to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so chapter 13 introduces us to that time in the history of the church where the Lord launches a ministry that extends beyond the local urban community into the uttermost parts of the earth. And so that ministry of the church starts in chapter 13 under the Apostle Paul. First there's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, which is really interesting. And then God does something supernatural. When God is elevating a leader, when God is calling you to be the vision caster, what he will do is authenticate you. You don't have to muscle your way in. You don't have to hate on nobody. And so Paul says in Acts chapter 13 to a witch, a male witch, a sorcerer who was coming against the truth of God, he said, you are full of the devil. And he said, you are going, he prayed a prayer, and he said, you're going to be blind. And the man who was the witch coming against the word of God was instantly caused to be blind and led around in darkness. And when all who witnessed the power of God at work through Paul, from that point on in verse 12 of Acts chapter 13, is no longer Barnabas and Paul. It's Saul or Paul and Barnabas. Paul saw Barnabas recognized that it was God's hand and his intention that the vision for reaching the world specifically the Gentile world, was going to be executed through his servant, Paul. Somebody say amen. amen. So when we come to chapter 13, you're all excited about the history of the church. Amen. You knew all those things anyway. The church moved from the local outreach. Now they're reaching the world. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we are provided a model of foreign missions. And by foreign missions, here's my definition. Fishing for lost souls overseas in countries that have not heard the word of God. In countries and places that have not heard the word of God. The new outreach and focus begins in chapter 13 
It wasn't something that was arbitrarily decided by church members. This was the vision that Jesus gave that we will go beyond the four walls, beyond the urban community, beyond the rural community, and we will get on boats and planes and trains and whatever we got to do, we're going to reach the world for Jesus. Somebody say amen. Again, we read, so after they had finished fasting and praying, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Now, here's three thoughts that I want to leave with you today. Because it would be, it would not be pleasing to the Lord if all that occurred during these months of, this month of learning about the word of God and reaching people that don't know Jesus, if we simply walk away with more information. But the Lord wants us to take what has been taught and to say, as in Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus walked on the face of the earth in the incarnation when he took on human form, Isaiah said, after he saw the Lord high and lifted up, robe filling the, the train of his robe filling the temple, he said, Lord, here am I. Send me, because the Lord said, who will I send and who will go for us? He said, here am I. That is the appeal today. Are you willing to say to Jesus Christ, irregardless to what your plans are, have you come to that position where you recognize that apart from Christ, nothing that you will ever do will have any eternal significance? And so we come offering ourselves as living sacrifices, and what that simply means is, Lord, Take me and use me however you want to for the glory of God. Three things I want to share with you as we go through this passage. First of all, as we've been talking about second-mile Christians, we've gone through a whole series. Now we're talking about second-mile Christians as it relates to reaching the world for Jesus Christ. The second-mile Christian churches are sending churches. And the first thing that we're going to concentrate on is this. The sending church was a spiritually strong church. Say spiritually strong. Spiritually. Secondly, the sent were homegrown. So the sending church was spiritually strong, and those who were sent came from the church that sent them. That's the biblical model. And then thirdly, the sent were supported by the senders. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The sent was supported by the senders. Amen. And get all my amens. I'm going to manufacture some amens here. So the sending church was spiritually strong. The Bible says, now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius, the Cyrenian, Manus, who was brought up by Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, here thing, three things I want to consider under the sending church that was spiritually strong. First thing that I want you to notice is where missions to the world, the uttermost parts of the, of the inhabited earth, it was birthed in a church called Antioch. And it's not insignificant to note this in Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, that it was at Antioch that believers were first called Christians. And so a Christian is a follower of Christ. Let me just read this, because I want you to understand that at this church, we don't just make it up as we go along. 
We are actually trying to model everything that we do based on what is revealed to us in the word of God. So when we talk about going overseas or knocking on doors, that may sound very positive and a good thing to do, but we ain't just doing good things to be doing good things. We're doing them because we are commanded and mandated by the word of God, and Christians come under the authority of the word of God. God's word gives us our marching orders. It's our compass for living. And so we're told the birthplace. Listen at uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 20 through 26. Then Barnabas went to Tar- Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. That's a whole sermon, that, whole, that one verse there. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. They taught them. We don't lack emotion. We don't lack hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, praise the Lord. We don't lack that. God says the the problem with my people is that they are perishing for the lack of instruction, for the lack of knowledge. We need to be taught the word of God, for for faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by what? The word of God. We need to be taught God's word. The disciples were first called Christians there, that verse says, and, they, and, they, and they, he found them, he brought them, they taught them for a whole year. A number of people, the disciples were first called Christians. It's, isn't it interesting? Of all the places that the good news had been shared, where Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he rose on the third day, and placing our trust in what he accomplished on our behalf when he hung on the cross and his head fell in the lockets of his shoulders, and he said, tell to let, it is finished. And then he commended his spirit to the Lord. When we share that news to people who are lost, they get saved. And so people were getting saved after the persecution and all over the place. But it was the one city of all the places that they were first called Christians. What was unique about this church? Well, it was a multicultural and multi-ethnic church. It was a church that had mixed people groups. Say mixed people groups. There were Jewish people there. And we learned today, if you had come to class, there's not multiple races based on the tonation of your, the color of your skin. There's only one race. It's called the human race. We, were all, we are all descendants of Adam, and Adam and Eve were created in the image and likeness of God, and so are we. We just are different shades of dirt. That's all. There's only one race. There's no white race, black race. Puerto Rican race, those are man-made divisive titles that we have been deceived in using to make differences that God doesn't make. And so they they were, amen, so there were Jews there. Paul and Barnabas were Jews. There were Africans there. Simeon, whose name was Niger, the name Niger means black. So there were black members in that church. Folk who had some soul up in that church. There were Greeks in the church, and there was Lucius from Cyrene. Cyrene is, the, is our modern-day Syria. 
And so there were all different kinds of people in the church. I want you to know that the church that most reflects the one that Jesus died for is not an all one a group, people group a church, ideally. Let me share with you, when John the apostle was on the island of Patmos, he was staring hell in the face. He was, he, was, he was exiled for the, he was going to be there for the rest of his life as far as he knew. He was in isolation, but he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And on, while he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, he got a glimpse of heaven while hell was staring him in the face. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, here's what he saw. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. Of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The church should look like the congregation that is in heaven. He said, I looked and I saw a number that no man can number from every language, from every tribe, from every people group. That's what heaven looks like. And when God looks down from heaven on earth at the church that Jesus paid his blood for and was buried and died for, the church should reflect what heaven looks like. That's why we ought to have a heart for the world. It was a strong church. They were first called Christians at Antioch because of the people groups that were there. The church had strong preaching and teaching, the Bible says. Some were prophets and teachers. Back in these days, we didn't have a completed canon. We didn't have the total 66 books of the Bible. And so the prophets would get a direct revelation from God. And as they received the direct revelation, mostly foretelling rather than foretelling, that is, foretelling about the immediate uh, things that God expected from the church right now for daily living, foretelling has to do with distant future, and we see that in the book of Revelation. But as they gave the direct revelation to the church, the teachers would take what was given through the prophets and they would explain it to the congregation. And so what we see in the church at Antioch is that they had strong teaching and preaching. They were, they were sound doctrinally. It was a strong spiritual church. Sometimes we measure strength of the church by the size of the church, the, bullet, the, 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 the bank account of the church. How large is the choir? Uh, what kind of singles ministry do they have? Uh, what's, how large is the building? You know what? The interesting thing, again, the church is the body of Christ. Okay? And, and again, when God measures the success of the church, he's basing it on the spiritual impact of his word on the lives of the people that are receiving it. And so they had strong preaching and teaching in the church. The, strong, the, the church also had strong, multicultural leaders. There was Paul, there was, there was uh, Niger, there was Cynthia, uh, there's there this list of people, you, I've already read those to you, Mannion and so forth. They were a multicultural ethnic leadership church. Here's what is important about that. I don't know how many churches that I've gone to, and you can have a predominant group of folks 
If you have multicultured people in the church, there should be multicultured representation and leadership. If you go to a church that is predominantly white, in terms of it, all of the leaders are white, but 85% of the church is black, something's wrong with that. Because the gifts of Christ are not restricted to certain cultures. And I don't know how many times I've gone to Bible-centered, evangelical, fundamentalist, conservative churches, and all that some people can do in those churches is sit and listen. You can't exercise the gift of leadership in those groups. That's not what this church was like. They led shoulder to shoulder. It was multicultural leadership. So if you got a blend in the church, you got to have a blend in the leadership. That's biblical. Somebody say amen. So the church was strong in their leadership. I want you to understand, until the church is spiritually strong in its leadership, in its teaching, in its message to the world that we are Christian, nobody ought to be, you don't have to go around, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I often go in a room with people that are dying as a hospice chaplain, and the first thing they say, I ain't religious. I say, I ain't either. I'm just a preacher who loves Jesus. I'm about relationships. But what happens is when the body of Christ is functioning in the way that we should and we're not allowing color and and financial and and, and social and education to be divisive among us, we don't have to tell people we're Christian. They'll call us followers of Christ because that's what Christ is like. The Bible says, by this they will know that you are my disciples. By what? By how big your Bible is. By how high you jump. But how many tongues you can speak in. But how many bishops and apostles and and, and whoever else you know. No, they will know that you are my disciples, that I actually lived and I suffered and died by your love one for another. I know a man who really took the scripture seriously when the Lord said, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of children. He had 14 kids with the same woman that he was married to. 14 of them. She was a little fertile. And this was was pre-Viagra days. Amen. Watch this. The first seven of those children spent time in jail. They ended up involved in life of crime, drinking, drugs, gang war. And many of them, even to this day, because of the activities that they got involved, still are in jail. Then they had seven more children. Maybe that's why they decided seven is the number of perfection. That first seven didn't kind of. So they had seven more children. All seven of them married, wives and husbands, law-abiding, great jobs, serving God. The question is, what's different? Seven in jail and the last seven living for God, celebrating the presence of the Lord. Well, the parents got saved. 
What I'm saying is this. When you become a member of the body of Christ and you become connected with a local church and you are taught the word and preach the word and the word is allowed to change your life, you will be different and you will be prepared not only to train up your own children in the way that they should go, but you will be available to do what God says. I'm saying to you that strong spiritual churches produce strong spiritual people who are able and equipped to go and tell others about Jesus. I want you to understand something. We have a strong spiritual church here, and you're being equipped. You're being equipped not to just get more information, but to be challenged by God. What am I going to do with what God is doing for me? Some of this is going to go over uh, some of your heads because you ain't thinking about going nowhere. You don't have to go anywhere to be obedient to the Lord. You ought to be telling everybody about somebody who took a nobody like us and made us into somebody because by his grace, we are, who are wretches, undone. It's by his mercy I've not been consumed. If I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be here. But the Lord, by his mercy, when I was dead in my trespasses and sin, no God on my side. I wasn't running to the Lord. I was like a sheep without a shepherd fleeing from him because there's none. I thought you knew you thought you were righteous, right? You had read your Bible. No, no. Lord said there was none righteous, not a single one, but the shepherd of our soul. He left heaven glory to come to the sin-cursed earth to save us from our sins. What a mighty God. It makes no sense. That's crazy love. Why would he do it? The least I can do is tell somebody about the goodness of God. Now, if he hadn't been good to you, please don't say anything. And if you live in raggedy, just be quiet. Because the Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer to every man who asks of a reason of hope that's within you with meekness and fear. But if you're not letting your light shine, ain't nobody going to ask you. Why would they want what you don't even submit to? It hasn't changed you. As bad as things are, what people need more than ever before, there's a need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay with me. The sending church is a fairly strong church, but the sending church sends homegrown missionaries. Verse 2, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted and prayed, fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me. Who did he say separate? Barnabas and Saul. Just wanted to make sure you're with me for the work which I have called them. Notice where the first Mormon missionaries came from. They came from the church that sent them, homegrown. Ain't nothing like a home-cooked meal. Paul and Barnabas were members of the Antioch church. They were products of the sending church. And so one of the characteristics of a biblically sound church is that because it's strong, it's producing strong Christians. 
and it will develop Christians within that body that will respond to the call of God. Who they sent? Who did they send? Not who they sent. Some people think, I ain't doing nothing at the church. And, man, it would be nice for people to call me up front and help me to get to reach out to others. And I can, I was really interesting yesterday, all of the different outfits that people wear so that you know who they are. Okay. Guess what? What you wear doesn't make you who you are. And so they said, well, I ain't doing nothing here. I might as well go to Mission Field. Guess what? If you're doing nothing here, you ain't going to do nothing there. If you're lazy here, you will be lazier there because it's work on the Mission Field. Somebody say amen. amen. Some people say, well, I, got, I know a way to get them out of the church. They ain't hell raisers. These are sons of Zebedee, you know, sons of thunder. That means they're hell raisers. They cussers, fussers, fighters. That's what Peter and John were, were before they got saved. And even after Peter got saved, the brother was still packing. Not only just packing, but he used what he had. You remember he said, Jesus, everybody else will forsake you, but not me. I know how to hold it down. I got, Jesus, I got your back. We will deal with this when the time comes. And so what Peter did when they came to apprehend Jesus to take him to be tried and, and charged, Peter whipped out his knife. And, and he didn't think he twice. He just cut the brother's ear off. And Jesus stoops down. And he picks it up. He messed Peter up. Wait a minute. I don't know no fighting. I don't know this kind of fighting. When you cut somebody, you mean to kill them. You don't pick up the air and put it back on. And then talk about those who live by the sword shall perish by the sword. So some people say the way you can clean the church of all the hellions and the difficult folks, send them to the mission field. Pack them up. No, but listen who they chose. They chose the cream of the crop. Paul had a PhD in theology. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, multilingual, multicultural. He wrote the, most of the New Testament Bible. He was a brilliant theologian. The Holy Spirit chose Paul. The, the, I mean, the, the, the last person, they just graduated with a master's degree and a PhD from college, and they talking about going to the mission field, and I paid over $100,000 for that education. The Lord ain't sending my child. The Lord ain't sending No, no, no. He don't send those kind of people. He sends the ones that don't go to college. No, he chose the two best. Barnabas was a successful businessman, an excellent discipler. They were the key teachers and preachers in the church. That's who the Holy Spirit said, send the best. So when we think about who should go, don't be looking at somebody who didn't go to college or who doesn't live somewhere on the top of the hill. These guys had all of the credentials in the world. The question is, are you willing to be obedient to the Lord? And how much is too much to, to give him? I want you to understand something. I don't care how much scripture you quote, how much Bible you know, how well you were raised, you will have no supernatural power 
released in your life or genuine peace until you are in the center of the will of God for your life. And if that means packing your stuff and going, if you were a Mormon, in order to be officially admitted to membership, you got to spend two years on the mission field. You are obligated to give 10% of your income or you can't be a Mormon. You can't be a Jehovah's Witness if you don't go knocking on doors. They, don't, they discourage college because if you want to get in, you want to be one of the 144, which they say are already in heaven, and paradise, if you want to be a part of paradise earth, then you better be knocking on doors. And guess what people do? They knock on doors. And here we have the word of God. By grace you are saved through faith. That, it's free. Salvation is free. But guess what? Discipleship is costly. Everything that we have really is his because you have been brought with the price, through the precious blood of Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. They chose the best. How did the call come? I'm glad you asked. The Bible says that the leaders were ministering to the Lord. So this wasn't just a regular church service like the one we're having. Now, this wasn't just a holy huddle. This is what we would consider as a Christian retreat or leadership retreat. The pastor, the elders, the leaders of the church, they're meeting, and they're having their annual evaluation of the church and strategy. You know how you do when you're planning for your family, fathers at the beginning of the year. You strategize, evaluate, casting your vision. You know how they do. I know they do it at our jobs, but this is what we should be doing in our home. And so the church is meeting, and they're evaluating how good God has been. Marriages are being saved. People are being delivered from addictions. People are being healed from all kinds of diseases. Miracles and signs are happening in front of us. And, and, and what's really going to blow their minds is that people are tithing. They're tithing so much that at the end of the meeting, I believe what they end up saying, God, you've been too good. We got too much. Too many musicians, too many preachers, too many uh, other gifted teachers sitting on their backside in the church in the name of being fed. And the, and the rest of the body of Christ is starving. We've got too much, God. You've blessed us beyond what we can ask or even think. How many churches do you know that are so large that the musicians are hoping somebody just collapses and dies, at least get a chance to play one Sunday? <laughs> Preachers sitting on the first and second row, three, three rows deep. Maybe the pastor's going to be sick this Sunday. I want you to understand, that's not the, that is not the biblical model of how to build the kingdom of God. Sometimes you can get too big. And so what they're saying is, Lord, we got so much blessing, so many members. It's time for us to go further in you. We don't ever want to get comfortable down here because this world is not our home. We're heading for heaven. And so whatever it takes, Lord, we want to use what you blessed us with to be blessings to others who need it. I say this all the time, and I mean it. Whatever we have here, if somebody else needs it and they're part of the body of Christ, it's theirs. Amen. 
It's theirs. This is not ours. We're not trying to build an empire. We're trying to be a part of building the kingdom of God for his glory. Somebody say amen. Amen. The leaders were meeting. The Holy Spirit spoke. Now, this was real deep. I'm trying to figure out, theologically, what does it mean? They were fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit said, set aside for me. Now, when's the last time the Holy Spirit spoke to you like that? I believe that's how the Holy Spirit audibly spoke to them in fasting and prayer. And guess what? I'm not going to tie the Holy Spirit's arms or hands to say he can't say that, speak that. Some of us need that. That's the only way you're going to believe it. It got to hit you right in the face. Bam! Oh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, that, that's you? Oh, I was wondering why that cross was there. I was wondering why that, you know. So the Holy Spirit spoke to surrendered leaders. Here's the key. They were praying and fasting and ministering to the Lord. They were asking God, what can we do? What do you want? If you want to hear from the Holy Spirit, you don't have to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon. You just need to be surrendered as a believer. And he will speak to you. He will let you know what your purpose is. Are you surrendered? The call came from the Holy Spirit. The call must, the call must proceed, uh, must be processed. I don't know what I wrote here. <laughs> God bless you. And Holy Spirit, uh, what, what you want? <laughs> I know what I meant. The call must precede your going. If you go without being called, you just sent. You just went without being sent. You need to be sent before you go. The called are the only ones that should go. If he didn't send you to Kenya or Haiti, stay home. Don't go there and be a nuisance because you will be outside of the will of God. Wherever he tells you to go, that is where, that's why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be more deliberate about who joins this church. You better be sure God told you. Because if you are not being faithful to where God called you, then you're in disobedience, and we are signing off on that. The question is, God told you to be here, you will hear this shepherd's voice, and you will follow my leadership. And my leadership, as I follow Christ, that's what the scripture says. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So you be sure before you say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Did the Lord tell you to do it? It's okay. He'll tell you. I would much rather you say, Lord didn't tell me to do that. I should be married 10 times. The Lord told me to tell you that she was going to be, what? He didn't tell it. He may have told you that, but he sure enough didn't tell me. And when God decides he wants to tell me what he told you, then maybe we can come into agreement. But not until then. He will let you know when you, where and when you should go. The Holy Spirit Church is still speaking. Are you listening? And guess what? He doesn't yell. 
And he normally won't tell you what he wants you to do in a crowd. It's going to happen when you're in your prayer closet. It's going to happen when you push that plate away. It's going to happen when you are thirsting and yearning and desiring God as a deer pants for water. When you get desperate, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Somebody say amen. The call must obey. Once you get called, some of you have been called, you've been getting to it. You know, you might get the illustration. You see these girls jump, 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 that, 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 that with the jump rope, and you bounce to that. <laughs> You're going to get in. You're going to get in. You're waiting for somebody to tell you to do what God already told you to do. You're just rocking back and forth, rocking back and forth. Oh, man, I'm tired. Oh, man, I'm going to get in one of these days. And your life done passed you by. You never jumped in. One of the greatest, most famous missionaries who ever lived was Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. He would interview potential missionaries to foreign fields. And he said, why do you want to go? Give me your motivation. Some say, well, the Lord commanded that we should go into the world and preach the gospel. That's a great answer. And others would say, well, millions are perishing, and if I don't go and tell them, they're going to die, and they're going to go to a Christless eternity. He says, that's a great answer. He said, but let me tell you something. Here's the only thing that will keep you where God sent you. When the trials come, when you can't turn on your little internet, when you can't read your emails, when ain't nobody calling you, when you're pushing away those mosquitoes, and when those kids are acting like they're doing you a favor to be with you, you done traveled all those hundreds of miles. The only thing that's going to keep you is that you love Jesus. That's why it's important for missionaries to be homegrown under strong spiritual leadership. It's because we know you. You'll know if somebody loves Jesus. That's the question. When, we, when you consider your behavior, when you consider your attitude, do you love Jesus? I want you to understand that the love of Jesus is infectious. It is contagious. It radiates. It makes the light, it's like putting your high beams on. When somebody loves Jesus, it's like turn the light off. They were homegrown. They came out of the church that they were trained in or were trainers in. Here's the final thing. They were, the sin church supported the sin, the scent. Say they supported, they supported the scent. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them. They sent them away. What did the church at Antioch do through the, lay, through the leadership? The laying on of hands is significant. I ain't talking about hitting somebody. I'm going to lay my hands on you. No, 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 no. When the church, through the leadership, lays their hands on you and acknowledges a call of God on your life, it's supernatural. It means through the leadership re- representing the church that the leadership is agreeing, we're not deciding because the Holy Spirit already decides. That's why the Bible said, whatever you loose and bind on earth, it will be loose and bound in heaven. That ain't what we say. Name it and claim it to be loose and bound. I demand the devil to get in that corner. I command the devil to roll. No, 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 no. What it means to loosen the bind on earth, what if God will loosen bind, he said, whatever I already decided, 
Whatever I already loosed and bound in heaven, if you agree with that, that's what I will keep loosed and bound. The leadership came into agreement. The act of laying on hands is a reflection of that symbolic oneness. When the leaders lay hands, we're saying we're one with what God has already determined. It confers the authority of Christ onto missionaries through the laying on the hands. The authority and the power you need to be released through the touching and agreement of leadership, God, is, it's not like you don't already have the power. The laying on hands in a public setting, it's like it activates the power. It's the car, but you got the keys, you got the car, you got everything you need, but until you start it. So the laying on of hands is like saying to everybody assembled that that power, that special anointing, that gifting is now available and, and to be used. Commit, it also says a third thing and final thing. Somebody says, I'm glad that salvation's free. <laughs> laying on of hands means commitment to accountability through prayer personal communication, and keeping up with the alliterations through cash, cash money. We are saying through the church as the leadership lays hands on missionaries is that we will hold you accountable to sound doctrine, to godly living, and we're going to trust that what you demonstrated before you left, you will continue to do it. You will work out your own soul salvation with fear and in trembling. Paul says, when I was there, that's what you did, and we're going to trust that. And when you come back, you'll give us a report, and we'll know that you were faithful. We will also hold you accountable through personal prayer. We ain't going to forget you. Out of sight ain't out of mind. We're going to pray for you. But we also are saying through our laying on of hands that if nobody else supports you financially, because we are acknowledging God has called you to go, we will support you. Amen. That's the Bible. Look at the scriptures. When Paul was serving, he sent the letter to the Philippians. He said, I'm not asking for your support, but you have supported me because I started the church, and you should support me. He talks about in 1 Corinthians. He says, as the founding pastor of the church, the church should pay the pastor. That's what Paul says. But he says, I choose not to exercise that liberty. And so what I'm saying as it applies to missionaries as they go, we're saying to them, church, we're going to go in our pockets. If there's a need, come on now, and we're going to support you. We're not going to let you go over there and, and your needs not be met. Wouldn't that be inhumane? Wouldn't that be ungodly? Come on now. It was, I, I'm just telling you, that's biblical. That's biblical. The sending church should be the primary supporting church. I love Forrest Gump. I don't know how many times I've seen that movie. He had a friend named Bubba. Bubba Gump Shrimp. Bubba, Bubba, yeah, Bubba, Bubba Shrimp. They both served in the military. Stand with me. And all Bubba talked about was scrimp, 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 turkey scrimp, chicken scrimp, <laughs> fried scrimp, baked scrimp. And so now they are on the theater of war. There is 
a situation where bombs overwhelm the battalion that Gump and Bubba are in. And so where the, re the, the, the note to retreat is sounded, and, and Forrest retreats to safety. And once he's safe, he realizes, he says, where's Bubba? Where's Bubba? Where's Bubba? And then Forrest Gump, bombs blazing, body parts flying in the air. He runs back into harm's way, pushing over one person that's dead, moving a leg, moving an arm, moving a hand, moving a shoulder. Where's Bubba? Where's Bubba? And then finally, there's Bubba, mortally wounded, but still alive. And Forrest reaches down. He said, I knew you would come. I knew you would not leave me here. And he grabs Bubba, risking his own life. He ends up getting shot, rescuing a dying man, because he was not willing to leave his friend in a state where he would die on the battlefield and just be left to perish. And I thought about that. Yeah, Horace, Forrest Gump is a, is a fictional story, but it also has a literal context for us as a church. We ought to have that kind of tenacity, that kind of burden for the lost, that it doesn't matter what it takes. We're not going to leave wounded souls. We're not going to leave the lost to perish. We're not going to leave one stone unturned. If it costs me my money, if it costs me my time, if it costs me my, my prayer life, if whatever it takes, I'm not going to leave one soul that Jesus died for to perish without hearing the good news. If you want me to go, Lord, I'll go. Here am I. Send me. Send me. Send me. Send me. Send me. Father God, we